Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Uh, This is page um, 939, if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Again, that's Romans 1, verses 28 through 32. And as we read here, remember, we're reading God's word. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's God's word. You may be seated. So that's like a really hard left from uh, where we just were, right? We're having this encouraging family, you know, hey, let's support each other. And, and we just, you know, you know, straight into foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Um, it's an interesting message for Mother's Day. You know, there have been times in the past where we've, you know, kind of done a sermon on motherhood or parenting or something like that. Um, this, we're just going to continue in our series in Romans. Um, and, and it's an interesting passage, but, but it reminds me, you know, we, we've talked about this already. Kids can drive their moms crazy, right? I heard about the boy who, it was bedtime, and he, you know, he was kind of scuffling along, and finally he got in bed, and about five minutes later, he, his mom hears, Mom! She says, What? I'm thirsty. You already had a drink. It's time to bed. Time for bed. Go to bed. Five minutes later, Mom, what? I'm thirsty. You already had a drink. We've talked about this. It's time for bed. And listen, if you get up one more time, I'm going to spank you. Five minutes later, Mom, what? When you come to spank me, will you please bring me some water? Right? And that's how kids are. Like, they want what they want, and they want to get it, and they don't, it, you know, you eventually get to the point where you go, I don't even care about the consequences. I want what I want. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to show us in this book of Romans in chapter 1 is that we are the exact same way. We want what we want, and we want to get it, and we want to have it. And we, don't, we get to a point where we go, I don't even care what the consequences are. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care who it affects. I want what I want. That's what Paul is driving at in this particular passage. We're like that little boy. And so he's told us in chapter 1, verse 18, that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man rejects God, Romans 1 tells us. We reject God. We, we, we suppress what's true. We're not even thankful for the things that we have. God's revealed himself at least enough through creation that we know he's there. And we want to suppress that. We don't want that. We want to ignore that. We want to do what we want to do. And this leads to all sorts of devastating things. It leads to intellectual confusion. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. All right, so it leads to an intellectual confusion. It also leads to an emotional confusion. Look at the next set, part. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it leads to all sorts of bondage and addiction, where it says that God gives us up over to what we want. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. There's this addiction, this bondage that we have to sin. He's going to talk about this even in Romans 7, which is to say even when you're a Christian, there's still times when you do what you don't want to do and the thing you know you should do, you don't do, and, 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 and sin plagues us. Here's kind of the big idea. If you get this idea, you've got the whole message. You've got the whole point. Here's, here it is. It's a quote I originally heard from Tyler Johnson, who's lead pastor over Redemption Church as a whole and good friend of mine. Here it is. Here's the point of today's sermon. If sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. If sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. Right? Sin is not just this thing that kind of happens to us or other people do or it's kind of in the world. It's a big part of who we are. It covers us. It's embedded in us. It plagues us. It impacts every decision we make, every way we think about things. We are plagued by sin. Now, now there's good news that, that God in Christ begins to redeem us from that, begins to pull us out of it, to rescue us from that sin. That's what redeem means, to rescue and, and, he's, and he, he begins to forgive that sin, and he begins to cleanse us, and over time we begin to be more and more free from sin. But sin is always part of the equation. It's always there. Because if sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. And so Paul is finishing this section of Romans 1. Romans 1 is really about how sin has impacted everybody, even people who don't consider themselves religious, but, but everyone, and he finishes really kind of making a big point, that sin is huge, it's pervasive, if it were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. And here's kind of his proof, here's his explanation of why that's the case. Look at verse 28. It says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Here's, here's the first proof that, that we are plagued by sin, is we knowingly choose not to know God. Think about that sentence for a moment. We knowingly choose not to know God. That's what he says in verse 28. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. That, that word did not see fit, if you have an NIV translation, says did not think it worthwhile. It, the, the word has with it the idea of testing something. So if you've ever gone to a gas station or a grocery store and you hand them a crisp $20 bill, so what do they do sometimes? You know, they hold it up to the light. I don't know if they think you look suspicious or 
Or what? Maybe it's just the bill is so crisp and so perfect. They go, ah. And they test it to, to see, is this the authentic thing? Is this really, is this really what it's worth? And, and, and what Paul's saying here is that we did not see fit to acknowledge God. We, we sort of hold God up to the light and go, he's not worth it. I don't want this. It's not just like we, we kind of happen into it, like we didn't know what we're doing. What, what Paul's here saying is this is a willful choice. This is us knowingly choosing not to know God. And we get that, the idea of knowing God, this is related to knowing God. They did not see fit. They tested God, didn't, you know, he's not worth it, didn't see fit to acknowledge God. That word acknowledge is to know, right? It, it, every other time that word's used, it, it's talking about knowing. They, they decided not to know God. They held him up and went, he's not worth knowing. I don't want to have a relationship with him. I, I don't want to know him. Because to know him would mean that I'd have to say, have your way, Lord. Have your way. In my heart, your kingdom make. I don't want that. I want to do what I want to do. God's going to cramp my style. I don't want that. We knowingly choose not to know God because sin is pervasive in us. The other thing that we see is that we sin with creativity and variety. That's what he's going to show us here in this next chunk. We've got a bunch of descriptions that Paul gives, kind of grouped into you know, different kind of groupings. But, but what it is, is, is Paul is laying out the case here, saying, if sin were blue, you'd be a smurf. This is not just something that you occasionally do. This is not just something that is kind of a you know, fringe part of your life. Apart from God, this is a dominant thing in your life. And let me give you some examples of how you sin with creativity and with variety. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Filled, filled has the idea, right? Like you ever, you know, go to the, you know, you're at a restaurant or something and you're filling up your Coke and, and you, you know, you're filling it and you start talking to somebody or your kid asks you a question or something happens and next thing you know, it's sort of overflowing and dripping down your hand. You got to, right? It's, it's overflowing. That's what he's saying. We're overflowing with unrighteousness. It's doing what's wrong. Doing what's not right. I mean, that's not that difficult. God says do this. We don't do it. That's unrighteousness. And, and it's not just a little bit. It's we're overflowing with that. That's the natural. We're just, we're, it's, it's coming out of everywhere. Of unrighteousness. We're filled also with evil. Uh, unrighteousness is doing what's wrong. Evil is delighting in what's wrong. We're filled with just, it, it's kind of like that last thing. We don't just do it we also give approval to it. Filled with unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. That word also can be translated greed, or it's really just an overreaching desire. And wouldn't we say, if we're honest, that that's really probably the main root of a lot of our sin? Is we want more and more and more, and we're never satisfied and get me more. Right, and there are certain places where that's just, it's kind of okay. It's like, yeah, that's just, we're consumers, you know, that stimulates the economy. It's okay to want more. Paul's saying, no, you're filled with this greed. I have a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I'm struggling with impurity or I'm struggling with anger. Never had someone say, I'm struggling with greed, which shows you how deceitful it is. 
We don't even see it, but we're filled with it, he says. And then we're also filled with malice, which is just kind of general depravity, general badness. It's kind of this bucket category. We just, it's everywhere. Then he says, he's going to get a little more specific, they are full, and there's that word again, full of envy, right? wanting what someone else has. You know, God, why did you bless them like that? I want that, and, and, and I want what they have. That's envy. And then there's murder. And, and murder, interestingly, is often a result of envy. Right? If you think about the example given in Genesis, in the early books, one of the, one of the first places where we see the pervasiveness of sin is with Cain and his brother Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel, murders him, because he's jealous that Abel has been blessed by God in a way that he hasn't. And so he murders him. This goes all the way back to some of our first parents. Evil, murder. You go, okay, I'm not a murderer. That's a lot of people's standard for righteousness. I'm not like Hitler. I haven't killed anybody. Don't set the bar so high, pal. I mean, wow, that's really impressive. You've, you've never killed anybody? God, wow. You, you are a beacon of righteousness. And Paul's going to go, there's more to it than just the big stuff that you think about. Here's the next one. Strife. Strife is the idea of being quarrelsome. Right, you always got to disagree. You always got to push back. You, right, ten things are presented. One's not exactly right. You notice the one. Right, you find the cloud in every silver lining. This is, by the way, when I'm, when I'm walking in the flesh and not very connected to God, this is, part of, this is a big part of how I am. Strife, pick, pick. Even if I don't like, necessarily articulate it, in my head I'm going, you're dumb, you're dumb, that's stupid, bad idea. I mean, that's just kind of like, and I'm going to pick at you and poke at you, right? If, if, if you're one of these people on social media that just likes to like, throw something out to be provocative and stir it up, you know what stirring it up is? That's quarrelsome. It's strife. Ooh, wow. That, that hurts a little bit. Murder, strife, deceit. Deceit is, is being cunning. So not just, not just not telling the truth, but sort of looking for ways to twist the truth to your advantage. Right? So this would include even things like embellishment to make a story sound that much better or, or just a little underreporting of the facts to make sure that you look okay in other people's eyes. It's cunning, it's intentional, it's deceitful. And maliciousness. This is wanting someone's, wanting ill for someone. Is there anybody that you go, you know what? They got hit by a car. I'd be all right with that. I'd kind of like that, actually. If there is, maliciousness. Then he says, they are gossips. The word gossips here literally means whisperers. They're whisperers. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you see what he said about her? Did you know how that right whisper? I'm going to get your ear. I'm going to whisper. That's a gossip. But then there's slanderers also. And slanderers say publicly what gossips just whisper privately, right? So he's saying, whatever it is, if you're taking an interest in tearing other people's reputation down, you know, finding, finding joy of, of elevating yourself by tearing them down, then that's sin. Slanderers, haters of God. People go, I don't want anything to do with God. I, God's, God's a killjoy. I, I don't want him. It's amazing, by the way, 
to me, and maybe if, if you're here and you'd consider yourself an atheist, maybe you're not in this boat, but it amazes me how angry some atheists can be at someone that they say doesn't exist. And why y'all worked up? But they hate God. Haters of God. And then insolent. I had to look this up. I didn't, some of you are a lot smarter than me. You know what that meant. I, I didn't know what insolent meant. So I had to look that up. What, what insolent is, and this is, again, this is another way that I am uh, if I'm not staying connected to the Lord. Insolent is um, kind of an, a rude arrogance. It's the kind of attitude that says that all that matters is my thing. And if you're not part of my thing, then I don't really care about it, and, and it's not very important, and just my thing is what matters. It's sort of that idea when we've got to make a name for ourselves, we've got to build a kingdom for ourselves. We, we gotta, it's, it's kind of this rude arrogance. And interestingly, Paul calls, uses that word to describe himself, the same author, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. He's describing all the ways that he was sinful and, and how all this stuff was true of him, right? He's not just calling this to us. He's saying, this was part of my life, and insulin is one of those things. He thought that his stuff mattered more than everyone else. That was part of how he was before Christ. Next thing is haughty. It's just arrogance, better than you. Look down my nose. Boastful. Sort of saying out loud what you're thinking internally, like, aren't I a good boy? And look at me. And then this next one's kind of this bucket category. Like, in case, in case we're not sure, he says, inventors of evil. Paul's going, you're going to think stuff up that's evil that I can't even mention. I don't even know about it yet. Inventors of evil. I kept thinking about that phrase as I was watching the news this week about um, the, the Ariel Castro in in Cleveland, right? And these girls that had gone missing, and they found out that they were, you know, in his house, you know, kept there as, you know, enslaved there. And, and I just the fast, I mean, it's just a wild story. And you, and you look at it, and you go, how could anyone do that? How could you even think of that? That's inventing evil. Right? And you start to get pretty, like, righteously so angry about something like that. And then I began to wonder how many men have images of women locked up in their brain. Women that they've, you know, through technology and pornography and other things, have access and they keep them chained up there for be able to use it at their pleasure any moment, right? And so, so again, it, what he's saying is it, it might vary in degree, but it doesn't vary in kind the same thing. Another evil invention, you should be aware of this, especially if you have uh, teenagers or kids and they have their own phone. There's an app that has been created called Snapchat. Perhaps you've heard about that. And I can't think of a function for it other than for evil. Essentially what it is, is it allows you to send text messages of text or pictures with the idea that it self-destructs within 15 seconds. So a lot of times you could Use it to share inappropriate pictures and then not get caught because it would self-destruct. Well, a hacker just yesterday figured out that it doesn't self-destruct and that these images continue on, not to mention that people take screenshots of them and keep them. But the only reason you would do that is if you're going to send inappropriate things to someone and not get caught. Well, what is that? You're, it's an invention for evil. And what's so bad about it is it's targeting in particular young people. Time, if you're a parent, time for a phone audit. Hey, let me look through there. If you're a spouse and you're going, sounds like a good idea. 
No. No, you're just, you're just affirming everything that's, that Paul's saying. We're inventors of evil. Then he says disobedient to parents. And that always to us feels like, come on, man, really? Like, that's not that bad. You know why we think that? Because our thinking is foolish. It's worthless, right? That, that's what it said in, in verse 28 when it said, God gave them up to a debased mind. Debased means worthless. Empty. Which means the way we think about things, like, well, this seems right to me. God's going, eh, not right. It's foolish. It's dumb. It's empty. Right? God cares about how we relate to our parents. So much so that one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. And so you can have something that's just absolutely as foundational to God. Why? Why does God care about that? Well, God cares about that because God knows that often the, the degree of respect you have of other people in authority is how you'll respect God. Which is why God calls us to submit to parents, to government. The leadership. It matters. Verse 31, kind of these last four. Foolish, void of understanding. Faithless, not trusting God. Uh, being suspicious instead of trusting. Heartless, you know, not connected emotionally, not able to really understand what you're feeling. And then ruthless. And ruthless means without mercy. Right? And, and, and merciless or, or ruthless, without mercy, can look different ways. Right? So it comes to mind like the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus told this story about a man who was traveling and was uh, you know, attacked by a, a group of kind of bandits who beat him up and left him basically for dead. Uh, but he continued to live. He's stuck on the side of the road. And those bandits clearly were ruthless. Right? No mercy. Attacking a guy. But then Jesus says that, that a number of people walked by him, a priest, a Levite, these religious people who should have been people who cared about mercy, and they just walked by, leaving it where the only way that this guy would get help would be through a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews. And so you have ruthlessness with the bandits who beat him up, but you also have ruthlessness with the religious people who go... Not my problem. No mercy here. Merciless. Do you see how deep-rooted this is? If sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. And it's pervasive. If you look at society, this, this explains why things are the way they are, right? In this section, you get the idea that there's economic breakdown, right? That how much economic breakdown in our culture is caused by greed? Right? How much poverty in other nations is caused by the greed of corrupt rulers who hold on to all the resources for themselves? Right? There's enough food in the world to feed everybody. There's enough money in the world for people to be taken care of and have clean water. But it doesn't happen because of greed. It shows us economic breakdown. It shows us social breakdown. Murder, strife, deceit, malice. That, you see that rampant in our society. Family breakdown. Right? Disobedient to parents. No respect for authority. And relational breakdown. Gossip, slander, insolent, arrogant, boastful. All that. Right? If you just look at it, you go, this is why 
It's broken. This is why it's messed up. And it gets worse. Look at verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So so that's that's a big statement. That's saying that if you practice this, if this is a if this is something you do, if this is something you've done, if you've done any of these things, these are capital offenses in God's eyes. You have broken his law. God's expectation, God's commandment is be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. Right? So that's why going, well, I'm better than most people. I was talking um, with a guy uh, at the park a couple, I don't know, a month or two ago. Uh, I was kind of reading out by this lake, and, and he was doing some studying or whatever, and we got into this conversation, and, and we started talking, and um, he you know, kind of asked what I did, and I told him I'm a pastor, and I'm never sure if I should answer that question, because a lot of times it just ends the conversation. But he was interested in that, and so he began to talk about all the different ways that he's trying to kind of do things to get close to God. And, and he, he goes to this church, and he reads this, and he does that, and he pursues this, and all the things he does, 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 does to try to get close to God. And I said, well, this might surprise you. If I told you guys this story? I can't remember. Some of you may, may have heard it. He, he, I said, this might surprise you, but I actually think you're more religious than I am. He said, what? How could that be? And I said, well, see, if religion is trying to work your way to get to God, then I think actually you're working harder at that. I, I just simply trust in what Jesus has done for me but you're doing all this work. And, and he was, a, he was a, um, a high school athlete and ran track. And so I said, so just imagine here for a second, you know, if we're going to, let's imagine that we're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And we're going to have a long jump contest to see who can jump across. And it's me and you and Usain Bolt. And we're going to have a contest to see who can get across. Well, I said, you know, you're younger and an athlete and better shape than I am. So I'm not going to get very far. You're going to get a little further than me. And Usain Bolt, he's going to crush both of us. But where are we all going to land? In the bottom. Because this gap is too big. That's what Paul's saying. The gap is too big. You're plagued by this. You're covered by this. If you're going, well, gosh, this makes me feel so guilty. Good! That's what Paul wants. Paul wants you to abandon hope in yourself. Abandon hope that you can make it right. That's exactly what he wants. But instead, we still, even under this, bow up and say, I want what I want, and I'm going to do it. Right? That's what the rest of verse 32 says. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them. That's present tense. That means they keep doing them. We not only keep doing it, but give approval to those who practice them. So some people go, oh, I don't do it. Yeah, but you give approval to those who do. You, you, you buy their magazines. You whisper about what's happening in their lives and culture. We do that. I love how Eugene Peterson has paraphrased. He paraphrased verse 28 and verse 32 this way in, in the message, which is a paraphrase of the scripture. Here's what he says. He says, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. 
and then all hell broke loose. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face, and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. What Paul wants is for us to see things as they actually are. Scripture tells us that sin is deceitful, which is why we minimize it and deflect it and and blame it on other people and, and pretend it doesn't exist. But it's there. God sees it. It deserves death. And we are hopeless without him intervening. Now, this passage itself doesn't tell us about any intervention. This is all bad news. But the rest of Romans is going to tell us some good news. It's going to tell us that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's going to tell us that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but can be made right with him by faith in Christ. It's going to tell us that if anyone would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they'll be saved from this condition. But you'll never experience that until it's hit home that this is real. This is your arrogance. This is your gossip. This is your deceit. One of the reasons why I think so many Christians, Christians just kind of play church, show up, you know, go through the motions, no real vibrant prayer, no real heartfelt worship, no desire to share the gospel with the lost, no no urgency about, boy, this is a day that God has made and I want to make the most of it. One of the reasons why we're so lukewarm and half-hearted is because we don't believe this is true about ourselves. And therefore, we don't have the wonder in what God has done that we should have. We think, I'm a pretty good guy. God, thanks for giving me a tune-up. What Paul's saying is, you are absolutely hopeless. Because if sin were blue, you're a smurf. We need to embrace that reality. Maybe we even need to ask God for faith to believe it's true. Let's pray. So, Father, we do come to you thankful that you love us enough to warn us God, your word is filled with so many promises and so much encouragement, and and yet, Lord, this isn't one of those passages. But we thank you that you have loved us enough to tell us the truth, to show us our real condition. God, help us to believe that it's true. Help us to trust you when you say that when we do these things, we deserve death, and that if we die apart from you, we will experience your wrath forever in hell. God, help us to take that seriously. And then, God, help it to lead us to trust Christ and to treasure him and to see that he is who we need. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. That we then would, rather than being rebels, that we would joyfully say, have your way, Lord. Have your way. In your heart, in my heart, your kingdom make. Have your way, God. That's what we want. Help us to see things the way you do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, have a time of response now. 
And there's going to be a couple sort of ways that, that we respond. In a few moments, the band is going to come, and they're going to lead us, and we're going to sing, and we're going to sing again a song of surrender.